Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 17. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Now, I don't know if you got this, but this is a miracle. The boat is only four feet wide. Jesus would walk up and say, hey, you guys are fishing on the other wrong side of the boat. Well, what did all the fish decide to stay on the other side of the boat? This is a miracle. And so and they probably said, Jesus, you're nuts. Jesus, what difference does it make? And what did they do? They threw the net on the other side of the boat, and they were like, wow. And they brought in the net, and they counted 153 fish. You see, this is the only miracle in the Bible where Jesus uses one fish. It's unique. Number five, the fifth unique thing about this miracle is that it was performed for Peter alone. For Peter alone. Now, Jesus performed other miracles for Peter alone as well, but he seemed to have an affection for Peter. You might remember that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law in Mark chapter 1. Jesus enabled Peter to walk on water in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 14. They came to arrest Jesus, and, and, and you might remember Peter took out his sword. I love Peter. He took out his sword, and he cut off Malchus' ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and says, Peter, you got to stop. Puts the ear back on, heals the man. He did that for Peter alone. Acts chapter 12, Peter alone was in prison and Jesus set him free. And you remember the disciples and particularly a woman by the name of Rhoda were, were praying for Peter to get out of prison. And God set him free. Remember, and Peter comes to the door where they were praying and he knocks on the door and Rhoda goes to the door and looks through the keyhole, looks through the eye hole thing. The keyhole's lower, the eye hole deal. And, and she sees this Peter and she goes back and she tells him, she says, guys, we've been praying for Peter to get out of prison and he's out of prison. And they said, no way. He said, no way, he can't be. Isn't it funny how when we're praying for something, God answers it and we say, hey, it can't be. You know, that just can't be. And, and the Lord set him free. And so here we see the Lord for Peter alone did a miracle and set him free from, from, from prison. And then there's one last thing about this miracle that I think is interesting. It's the only miracle in the Bible that doesn't record the results of the miracle. This chapter does not have a verse 28. It's verse 27 is the end of it. Did you notice it doesn't say, and Peter went down to the sea, cast in a hook, pulled up a fish, opened his mouth, took a coin, paid his and Jesus taxes. It doesn't say that. It simply says that Jesus gave him the instructions to go and do it. 
So then you say to me, Rodney, then how do we know that, you know, the results that it actually happened? If the Bible doesn't tell us it happened. Well, I, I think it's simple as this. I, I believe it happened. It actually happened. They actually got the coin. They actually paid the taxes because Jesus said to go do it. Amen. You see, you got to understand something here. What God has spoken, write this down. What God has spoken cannot be broken. If you agree with that, say amen. What God has spoken cannot be broken. There's a great verse in 1 Kings, just tucked away in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56. And it says, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. There has not failed one word of all his good promise. You see, what God has spoken cannot be broken. Jesus said it would happen, and I believe Jesus. Amen, saints? And I believe it happened. And the Bible doesn't, just because Jesus, look, Jesus has never, throughout all the scriptures, told anyone to go and do something that they could not do. Jesus has never told anyone to go do something that was impossible or that did not happen. So we have all of the authority of scripture to believe, verse 28, if you will, that it actually did happen. They found the coin and they paid the taxes. So in your text, a group of tax collectors, they come and ask Peter. They say, Peter, does your master pay the temple tax? In Jesus' day, understand something. The temple, understand, the temple was not supported by tithes and offerings. The temple was not supported by passing the plate several times in a church service. That's a whole nother sermon, y'all. We don't have time for that. If you think you know what I'm talking about, say amen. Good, that's half of y'all. Because there's some churches believe that you've got to pass five offerings in order to, you know, church is going to close if we don't get any money from y'all, so extract money from you in creative, inventive ways. The temple in the Bible was not supported that way. Once a year, how was it supported? Here it is, once a year. Write this down, Exodus 30. Read it in your own time. It simply says this, every man was required to give a half a shekel of silver once a year, period. Every man, once a year, a half a shekel of silver. And if you were really devout, you would pay or give more money during the year, but it was not required. But no self-respecting Jew, might I add, would not pay the temple tax. That's how they supported the temple. So these men who were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, did you notice they come and ask Peter what they should have asked Jesus? Isn't it amazing how people do that? You know, hey, well, well, you, hey, uh, Peter, uh, you know, what's going on with Jesus? I mean, didn't Peter should have said, why don't you go ask Jesus? See, I think they were afraid of Jesus. I think Jesus, good thing I ain't Jesus. I'd, I'd, I'd turn him a toast. I'd burn him up. You know what I mean? Burn, burn him up. Jesus, why did you pay an attention? None of your business. Poof! You know. But they, Jesus is loving. He's not like us. Amen, saints? He's so not like us. And so these men, they are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They come to Peter and they say, tell me, does your master pay the temple tax? Does he support the temple operation? And Peter said, yes. 
Now, I find that interesting because Peter is saying yes, and he really doesn't know. I told you the disciples are something else, didn't I? Peter doesn't know. You ever do that? Somebody asks you something and you go, yeah, um, I think so. Uh, Let me go check. That's what Peter, Peter, he really doesn't know. He just kind of opened his mouth, insert foot. And so, and notice it's here. And let me give you three things, three simple lessons that I think we can learn from this text. I'm trying to summarize it here. Three simple lessons that I think we can learn from this text. I want you to look at verse 25 again. Notice when Peter said yes. When he had come into the house, notice Jesus anticipated him saying. Did you just see that? Peter obviously was outside. Jesus was inside. Peter goes inside to talk to Jesus about paying the temple tax. And when Peter came into the house, he anticipated Jesus prevented or interrupted Peter. And Jesus began to speak first. Now, this is interesting and important because if you study the scriptures, you see that Peter was always being interrupted. Remember when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration? He said, let's build three booths, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and one for you, Jesus. And a voice came booming out of the heavens, the voice of the Father interrupting Peter and said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. You see, Peter was interrupted by the Father on the mountain, and now he's being interrupted by the Son in the house. Jesus interrupts him and then answers the question that he's coming in to answer, to ask. Did you notice that? In other words, what does that tell us? Well, here's a lesson for us. God, Jesus, knows everything. He knows everything. Now, in theological terms, that's the word omniscient. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's this incredible ability to know what you're thinking. You can't hide from him. You can't hide your thoughts from him. He knows what you're thinking right now. That's scary. You're like, okay, think about Jesus. We're in church. Think about Jesus right now, right now. Think about Jesus. And he knows that you're trying to think about him, but you're not really thinking about him, but you're trying to think about him. He knows everything. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it tells us this. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open To the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You know, someone once said, he is the silent listener to every conversation. Jesus is. That's convicting and it can be comforting. Both. I mean, it's convicting because he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're saying. You know, he knows what you talk about at home. What if somebody bugged your house at home? And then we brought the tape to church and played it over the loudspeaker. That would be interesting. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're, what, he knows what you were thinking and talking about coming to church this morning. That would be interesting. You know, God knows everything. So that can be convicting. But it can also be comforting because there are times that you say something you shouldn't stay. You shouldn't say there are times when you say something or you stumble or you fall. You know, God knows the intent of your heart. In Psalm 139, it says, you understand my thoughts afar off. You understand my thoughts from their origin. David says God is omniscient. Not only is he omniscient, but he's also he also controls everything. Now, that tells us that he's omnipotent. 
He has all power. He controls everything. This is an amazing miracle. Remember the Sea of Galilee. Again, beautiful. If you travel with us, you'll see it. But the Sea of Galilee is eight miles wide and 13 miles long. All the circumstances had to come together to get the coin in the fish's mouth. Someone had to drop the coin. The fish had to be there to grab it. Peter had to drop his line at the right time and the hook goes in the mouth of the right fish. You know, all of the circumstances, you see, it's a miracle. Somebody, one guy tried to say, I was reading some commentaries, and he said that this is not a miracle, that, you know, the fish just happened to be swimming by and grab it off the bottom. And I'm like, that's just stupid. I mean, the, the reality is, this is an incredible miracle of God. Jesus said, did you notice very specific in verse 28, verse 27, Jesus said very specific, the first fish he catches will have the money. What are the odds of that happening? It's a miracle working power of God. God has power. Colossians 1.16 tells us by him all things were made by his power. He has the power to control storms. He has the power to heal. You know, even last week at the hospital, I wanted to tell you guys to pray for a little four or five day old baby now. His name is Joshua. You know, his name means Jehovah is salvation. Joshua was born and 15 minutes after he came into the world, he went into a coma. And we went to the hospital and, you know, we were there in 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 the hospital room and man, I've never seen so many tubes and wires coming from such a small baby he's got wires and tubes coming from everywhere and they're trying to do what they can to to do some things to cause him to wake up you know we went in the room and all the doctors and the nurses were around and every piece of equipment you can imagine is around and me and the dad went in the room and dad asked the doctors would they mind if we just get near the baby and they said yeah and that's no problem and so we just we just laid hands on the baby Baby's like this small. We laid hands right there in front of the doctors and nurses and everybody. Because, see, I think that doctors do all they can, but I also believe that Jesus ultimately heals all. He has the power to heal. Amen, saints? And the doctors can do everything. I pray for the doctors. Lord, help the doctors do all that they know how to do. God, help them to be sharp like they've never been before. Help them discover things they've never known to heal this baby. But ultimately, all healing comes from the Lord. Amen, saints? And so we laid hands on this baby and we just ask the Lord to heal him because we know that he is the one who knows all he's omniscient and he has the power to heal God and God alone has the power to heal so would you pray for Joshua his name means Jehovah's salvation I told you that his name means Jehovah's salvation and I love that because Jehovah will save Joshua I'm confident of that Just confident of that. So he has the power. We can learn that from this text. He has the power. So Peter, in our text, he came to the house. And Jesus interrupted him and he said, Simon Peter, what do you think? Who does the king tax? Does he tax the strangers or the citizens? Look at it again in verse 25. The strangers or the citizens? Does he go through the palace knocking on his kids' doors and saying, pay up? We need to keep this kingdom going which is what I do at my house, (laughs) you know, I go knocking on, hey, kids, pay up. We need to keep this kingdom going. Does he charge his own family or strangers? And Peter said, of course, he would tax the strangers. 
And then Jesus said, the sons are free. Jesus is saying simply this, my father owns the temple. I am the son of God, and this is my father's house, and I am exempt from the tax. But Jesus says, I'm exempt. I'm free. I don't have to pay. Nevertheless, notice this in your Bibles, go get a coin out the fish's mouth and pay the tax. Although Jesus was free not to pay the tax, he paid the tax. Why? Because it was better, Jesus understood, it is better to pay the tax than to stumble someone. It's better to pay the tax than to stumble someone. And so maybe you're here. Maybe you've got a tax bill due. Maybe you've got a big bill due. You know, I was thinking about this verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. God will provide it. And so the third point I want to make, the lesson, not only is he omniscient, not only is he omnipotent, but he is also a servant. That's important. The reason Jesus, as I said, paid the tax was so he wouldn't offend, that he wouldn't stumble. Jesus was willing to pay the tax rather than stumble. Jesus came to be a servant to all. He was willing to lay aside his rights and give up his freedom so that he can serve other people. It was J.C. Ryle who said, well, would it be for the church and for the world if these five words of our Lord had been more studied, more pondered and more used? Nevertheless, pay the tax. Don't stumble someone. You know, we hear so much about our rights. You know, I got my rights. I'm exempt. I'm free. I can do what I want. Do you know in the life of the Christian that is not true? Did you know that? You don't have your rights. When you become a Christian, you give up your rights. That's not true. You don't have your rights. Now, when you become a Christian, now you've got to walk by the higher law of love. Now you've got to walk and consider your brother. As Christians, we have got to be mindful not to do things that cause others to stumble. And many times in life, you will find that you have to give up your rights for the sake of others. Husbands and wives, they know this all too well. And when you don't, You know, in in a marriage relationship, uh, you know, I got my rights. No, you don't. When you get married, your rights are over. And I mean that in the best sense of the words. It's over. Now you walk in love considering one another. And the reason why the divorce rate is so high in the church today as well as in the world is because everybody wants their rights. I want my rights. I want what I, you know, I, I need mine. And couples and people are getting divorces over stupid things. People get a divorce because, you know, the toilet paper roll isn't on the rack the right way. Well, we got irreconcilable differences. What is that? You see, it's all about you. Jesus, when he came, it wasn't all about him. It was really all about you. And it was all about me. Jesus surrendered his rights so that he could serve and not stumble. Jesus gave up his rights when he came to the earth and died on the cross. Philippians chapter 2 tells us who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God 
or he thought it not robbery the equality to be equal with God. In other words, it was Jesus' right, it was his divine prerogative, but he emptied himself, divested himself, he laid aside himself and came from heaven all the way down to the earth. And he took on him the form of a servant and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross, and even while hanging on the cross, he gave up his rights. He didn't just hang on that cross for himself. He he hung on that cross for you and for me. Somebody once said it wasn't the nails that, that held him to the cross. It was love that held him to the cross. Amen, saints? And he gave up his rights. And we need to be willing to give up our rights. Romans chapter 14, if you're taking notes, verse 21 says... It's good neither to eat or drink wine, to eat food or drink wine, or anything that stumbles your brother, or offends or causes someone else to fall. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Take heed by any means, lest this liberty become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're to walk in love toward each other. If what you do stumbles me, then I should walk in love and you should walk in love toward me and not do it. And likewise, you say, well, Rodney, you know, hey, you know, I got the liberty to do this or I had the liberty to do that. Well, great, but have it to yourself. We're not free, nor do we have the right to stumble one another. Amen, saints? Very important. Now, in order for Peter to experience the provision and the power of God to pay the taxes, he had to do two things. He had to trust the word and he had to obey the word. You know, wasn't there a hymn that said, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I went and did some research on that song. Do you know that song actually started out with a testimony from a man at the uh, at a Dwight L. Moody Evangelistic Crusade? This man stood up. He gave his testimony and he said, "I don't know a lot about Christian doctrine, but he said, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to trust and obey." And it was in 1887 that John Samus put music to those words. That song started off as a testimony from a guy who said, I don't know that much about the Bible, and I don't know that much about being a Christian, but the thing that I do know, which you will learn the day you become a Christian, trust the Lord and obey his word. Trust and obey. And Peter had to do the same thing. Hey, it's not easy to trust and obey. I understand that. You know, it makes me think of Joshua and the walls of Jericho. You know the story? That the Lord said, you know, the Lord said, you, you know, Joshua, you're, you're going to take down the walls of Jericho. Take down the city walls. Joshua's like, how are we going to do that? God says, I got a plan. I want you to, for seven days, you guys go march around the walls of the city. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times, God said, and blow the trumpet and start screaming your heads off and shouting to the Lord and the walls are going to come down. And I'm sure Joshua probably thought, what you talking about, Willis? How's that going to happen? And they needed to trust and obey. I'm sure there were guys up on the wall. 
And they were mocking, looking down. These guys are walking around every day, the seventh, the seventh day. They're walking around seven times. There's guys up there mocking, going, <laughs> look at those geeks. I mean, what do they think they're doing? You trust and obey. And they did. And the walls came down. And Joshua probably stood there and went, cool. This is cool. This is good. Trust and obey. It's not easy, but we're called to do it. And I can imagine, in closing, as Peter catches the fish, he's probably thinking, you know, as he goes there and ready to throw the line in, you know, and he catches that fish, he pulls the fish out, he's probably standing there for a second thinking, please, coin, be in the mouth. Please, coin, be in the mouth. And then he opens the mouth and he sees the coin. He's probably like, yeah, yeah, we bad, we bad, we bad, we bad. Go ahead, go ahead, (laughs) you know. I don't know, Peter had a good time. All because he trust and obey. Let me encourage you this week. Believe God's promises. Obey God's promises. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.